Welcome to Sin Escapism, the podcast by two friends who love to talk about the movies. I'm Kendra, and this week Anthony is off doing writing things, so I have a special guest with me today to co-host. It's my rare good friend, Serge Mafioli. Hi, Serge. Hi. How's it going? How are you, Ken? Fine, fine. Busy these days, but fine. Um, so, Serge, you are from France. Yeah. <laughs> You're from France. <laughs> and we've been point, yeah. Yes, we've been friends for a long time um online through my website vivinlarry.com. And so um maybe cuz the episode we're doing today is a bit of a shorter one um just because we had to kind of insert this so there's not a really big gap between episodes. Um so we're going to continue answering some questions about Vivian Lee and Laurence Olivier following on from the previous episode. So do you want to tell people, you know, a bit about who you are and what you do and why you like Vivian Lee and Laurence Olivier so much? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a difficult question, but uh, I think that uh, <laughs> on the internet, um, on your side, people know me as uh, Tongi, uh, which was the name I decided to take. Um, well, um, to appear in, the, in your internet site. But um, my story started, and my connection with Vigili and Laurence Olivier started uh, like an episode of um, uh, Star Wars in a long, long time ago in a different galaxy. I was very, very young. <laughs> and um, the first mention of uh, Gone with the Wind was through the, the title of a book. I was 10 years and I heard uh, somebody speak about a book she was reading and uh, reading, and the title of that book was which is the, the title in French. And I don't know why, um, I was not explained what was the story, but it sounded, just the sound of the title was quite uh, exciting. It had a faraway sound of it, gone with it, something yeah. that we never come back. And so I don't know for what reason it, it, it stuck in my mind. And I think it must have been three or four years later, I saw on the movie theater, the, well, that title, and I decided to, to go and see the movie. And that's how it started. I mean, I was, uh, well, I fell in love with the, with the movie, with the actors, with the story. And I thought, really, it was quite a recent movie. My first surprise was to realize it had been filmed in 1939. <laughs> you know what? My, my dad um, was convinced that it was filmed in the 1980s. And I was like, Dad, <laughs> no. No, really, the colors, the, I don't know, the technique of the, that movie, it, it's a, it seemed really fresh. And uh, my second discovery was that um, mainly the cast, all the principal uh, actors and actresses were dead and vividly was dead. And I think that, um, well, that missing um, part, the fact that I knew I could never um, uh, meet those people or know more, uh, well, pushed me to, to go to libraries and start to investigate because it was way before internet. Mm-hmm. And so the only way I could do, and living in France, in the south, in the provincial town, uh, had no material. The, the movies, well, Gone with Wind came for one year, but you should have 
to wait maybe three or four years before then to be able to, to watch it is again. So I started like that. Uh, I went to all stores, books, and and collected uh, you know, all newspapers, what I, I could find in France, and then started to travel. Then I went to London, and, and it started, and I, um, well, I started the collection, and I became more and more fascinated with Vivian uh, B, and then with Laurence Olivier, the theatre, the movies, and that's how, how it uh, evolved. But you, um, you've done more things. So a lot of people don't know, but you're actually, well, you're a journalist in France, but you've also written a book about Vivian. And this is something that you told me about a long time ago. And I was, I, because I had seen the book, my friend Mark Mays has a copy of it. And he was really surprised to learn that that was you because you make these. Yes, Mark Mays has a copy. Um, because you, um, you make these amazing YouTube videos where you have all this rare footage and everything, and where everyone's in the Vivian Lee online community tries to find out, like who is who. We call you Tan Guy in America in, in English. <laughs> I was like, so where does he get all of these, the, this cool footage and these rare photos and everything? And who is he? So mysterious. Who is he? So, but you're an author, and tell people about your book because I'm so excited for them to know about it. Yes. So I said what, what I said before. Um, I had started the, that collection, and I read everything that was available at, uh, at the time. And so at one point, I had so much material, and I always um, loved to write. So um, what could I do better to start writing? And uh, as a subject for my writing to choose come with Wayne, Vivian Lee, Laurence Olivier. So, and um, so that's how it started. I, I wrote that book uh, for me, but it was, you know, it was just um, combining maybe all the readings I had done. So um, I based myself on the material that really existed. I don't think I wrote much I had something new to, to, to the story. I was 25 when I wrote the, the book. And, mm. and um, well, the, the, the book was um, published. And, um, but um, there was complication because the, the publisher um, uh, had the book translated in Spanish and sold it abroad and did not told me about. So, and then lawyers, Started to you know to um, how do you say enter the scene? Yes. So there was yes a legal conflict and uh, well what started out like a, a really nice story for me ended uh, a bit like um, something uh, bitter and uh, maybe that's why I don't like to talk about that book very much because um, for a long time it's been a thorn in my, in my foot. No. And, you know, and um, so, um, but the, the, the point with the book is that when the book was published, I, then uh, something new started because uh, like it happens to you and I told you that it would happen to you when <laughs> book, your own book would be published. Then I, I started to get in touch with uh, people who I knew vividly and who were uh, willing to to show me material and well the, so it has changed my life I've met so many people different people and the the, the footage you're um, doing references to is um, was shown to me by um, the nephew of 
former president, um, French president, uh, François Mitterrand, his nephew is Frédéric Mitterrand, and Frédéric Mitterrand is a movie buff and historian of theirs with uh, the stars. He had uh, very famous shows uh, about um, Hollywood uh, and uh, the, the stars, and he ruined himself, you know, trying to buy those rights to, to show those um, little um, Hollywood, um, how do you say, broadcasts? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and he did one on, on Vivian Lee, and uh, I think he made a deal with uh, Susan Farrington at the time, and oh. she lent him uh, some very pretty rare material. Wow. And I met him, and we talked about Vivian um, Lee, and I met actors that had worked with her, and uh, I had a connection with Jean-Pierre Aumont, uh -huh. who uh, played with Vivian Lee Torridge and so on. So it was, um, it is a strange story. I, I think it, uh, it has been complicated for me, but in the end, it, well, look, we, we met through that, and it's been so many years, and, and the passion still pushed me to read and, and go this place, and so it's so interesting, and I'm thankful. It's amazing to hear that, and you're so right because you mentioned that you know once the books come out, then all of these people kind of come out of the woodwork and say, "Oh, I have this stuff. I, you know, I knew so and so," and that happened to me as well. Um, who are some of the other people that you were able to speak to who knew Vivian or who worked with her? Um, I remember Geneviève Page. I don't know if you knew who she is. She's a she was a very famous actress, French actress. She a theater actress, and she played with uh, Gérard Philippe uh, in Paris. And uh, she met Vivian and Larry in the 1950s um, at the Saint James Theater. She, in fact, she they invited her to play uh, to play on stage while they were away. I don't. I wonder if it, if it was the time when they were going to New York to, to play uh, Antonia and Cleopatra, so mm. it's 1952? 1951, 52, yeah. And she was playing on stage on the St. James Theatre, and I remember when I asked her about, presented to her, and uh, I told about Vivian Lee, and well, she was a really, Jean-Pierre Page was a really very serious, very impressive, and, but she suddenly, well, stopped and then she was standing, she said, oh, my dear Vivian. And, yeah, she, and all the people that have knew her um, in France have uh, kept that uh, image, the fact that she was a wonderful beauty and lady. That also, um, and it has started all the time when I went into bookstores, the, the room about her where that she was a bit crazy. She had uh, crazy eyes, and so I don't crazy know what eyes. she did in Paris. <laughs> no. did in Paris, or you know, during the Parisian nights. But she has she had a circle in in Paris. Mm. You know, they are good friends, like the Jose, like uh, um, the Simons. You mm -hmm. know, um, yeah. She was she was uh, working at Balmain, and so they came a lot in in, in Paris, and they left. Uh, um, an image of, of beauty and elegance, but also wild nights and uh, a lot of things like that. 
Mm-hmm. So, it's so interesting. Ah, um, did you find it difficult to find a lot of information um, or photographs or anything in France when you started becoming interested in Vivian? Because I know other people have told me, of um, course, yes. pre-internet days, but mm-hmm. especially if you weren't living in the U.S. or in the U.K., it was very difficult to find material. Um, and so you had to maybe interact with fan clubs or whatever existed at the time to to get new material. Fan clubs where? In France? I don't know. Did you have any fan clubs in France? No, 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 no. Vivian was not at all known. That's, you, you, you don't know how lucky you are because you've grown up in the, you know, in, uh, in California and that was quite valuable for you. But in the south of France, I mean, well, she was not known a lot. I mean, she was known for, as the actress who played in, in Gone with the Wind, but mm-hmm. that, that is all. Uh, so nothing exists. I mean, you had to go in and, and try to, to find a picture in collection of all newspapers and spend mm. hours in trying to, to find one in Paris Match, in uh, Jour de France, in all that, that magazines. Um, but there are some collections like Roger Violet, mm-hmm. uh, was a, a photo agency that existed, and they had a collections, and they had mainly the, the photographs that were taken when they came to Paris, and especially in 1957, mm-hmm. or to play Titus um, and uh, in Paris. Um, but, um, but that is all. So I had to go to London, I had to go to New York, to Atlanta, to different... Uh, uh, well, countries and um, to try to well to find what I am. It's amazing. It's like a treasure hunt, and it kind of still is in a way because there are always things that are coming, you know, out of the woodwork. Like in my job that I'm in right now with the Daily Herald archive and discovering like all of these pictures that I'd never even seen before. And it's sort of one of those things where, you know, e- each time you think you've reached the bottom of the barrel or the end of the rainbow and thought like, oh, I can't, you know, possibly find any more things. I've seen it all. And then something new comes out and you're just like, oh my gosh, how many times were these people photographed and how much paper is there out there? Like this paper trail about them just seems never ending. And I think that's maybe why I, I'm so interested in them or how come it's been so long that I've been interested in them because it's been like 15 years. And I'm just still obsessed with them, and I'm always learning new things. But uh, in the United States or in England, uh, there's that thing of being a fan, you know, movie star. Is has ever been considered uh, weird, or is it uh, well normal or normal obsession or interesting, or how is it considered? Well, I think people who are not fans, who do not understand that sort of culture, think it's really weird. But a lot of people are fans of different things. So, you know, like with films like Star Wars, people are so obsessed with that. They go to conventions and they dress up and cosplay and things like that. It's similar, like with Gone with the Wind, there's a group of people called the Windies, who I I think you've probably met some of them. Um, And, well, because I did film studies in grad school, um, I think in the academic community fandom is kind of looked down upon because you know it's not it's not considered very serious but i think there are so many different groups fans of different things um through my website i've met people who are not just fans of 
like Larry and Vivian, but for example, my friend Katie Sawyer, she's a big fan of Francis Ford Coppola and the film Rumblefish from the 1980s. And I've never met anyone else who loves that film as much as she does, but she's into collecting and she goes, you know, flies to Oklahoma and meets other fans and things like that. So there are all of these little communities. And as far as people thinking it weird, well, I mean, California is the home of Hollywood. People in Hollywood are probably really into that stuff, but I think on the whole, it's just that if people don't really understand or they don't have an obsessive personality or they don't really know the film that you're talking about or the person that you're talking about, it's difficult for them to kind of wrap their heads around why you like it so much. So I just think it's really like whether or not someone's interested or not, and that's that would be why they think it's weird or cool, you know? <laughs> And you think people, uh, young people mainly, uh, realize the, the luck they have to be able now, just with a click uh, on, on the internet, to get all the material you have been putting for years available to, to the audience. And, and, and when I think about what I have to do um, to, to get just a small, small, small bit of information and to get a Xerox that uh, the Billy Rose collection in New York and mm -hmm. to actually be there to have a Xerox. Gosh, <laughs> and, yeah. And now all the, the big newspaper puts it, you know, digitize the whole collection and well, it's, it goes very fast. So, yeah, basically, I think if I didn't have the internet when I started becoming interested, I wouldn't have carried on with this obsession because it's through the internet that I've met people like you and other fans who share a similar interest because, you know, when I first discovered Gone with the Wind and Vivian Lee and all like classic films in general, um, I was uh, just coming out of high school, going into college. And yeah, I didn't really know anyone like in college or anything who was really into Gone with the Wind. And I was like obsessed with Gone with the Wind. And I didn't know anyone who liked it on the same level. And so it was always really hard for me to kind of express this obsession that I had because I felt like no one else understood. And it was kind of lonely in that way. Um, and so when I started my website and these people from all around the world started commenting on it and, you know, donating photos and everything, it was just sort of, I really got sucked into this online community and it's been amazing. So. And you've done so much. I mean, you, you're the person that I think that when I started to um, you know, as I said, for a long time after the book was out, I, uh, well, I decided to um, take a little distance of all that. And then when I came back, so because it always comes back, mm -hmm. uh, and I to, to look on the internet, I think you were the first, um, one of the first I saw the that uh, was connected to Gong, Gong with Wim Vivian Lee, and I started to follow you. You had the live journal at the time, was that? What was was that uh, the live journal? Was it? Was it that? The what? Uh, you know, a live journal. You had a journal. A live journal. Yeah. Oh, those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, R.I.P. Live journal. <laughs> you talked a lot about your your and your life, and and that was quite nice. And um, so I started to follow you, and then you've been always going on and pushing things, doing things, going. Um, um, forward. I mean, and having projects, and 
and going to London and studying and publishing your book. And that's so wonderful. I admire Oh, thank you. <laughs> and then because that's I moved to London, that's how we met in Paris a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And that was so fun. Yay. <laughs> when I saw that you, you love cheese, fromage. I love cheese. <laughs> I love fromage. And you love to stay at the Hotel de Ville, too. You know? It's not a real hotel. <laughs> the Hotel de Ville, for the listeners, is the city council. It's the Hotel de Ville, but it's not a hotel where people can stay in bed. No, it's just where there's the mayor who works. Oh. But Canberra wants to go, go and I spend thought, the night. I thought the Hotel de Ville was a real hotel. And not just a tube stop or building. So, hmm. Um, that's a question I would like to ask. Um, I would like to ask to you. Uh, what was the um, the maddest thing you've done? The craziest thing you've done for you? Well, the, cra- the craziest thing I did was. The craziest thing I did was um, move from California overseas to London. <laughs> I mean, I I came over for grad school, but in the back of my mind, I also came over because I really wanted to write a book about Vivian. And so that was like, I need to be in this place to be able to access things that are here. So like the Lawrence Livier archive at the British Library, that was something that was quite new at the time. And I was like, I need to, you know, I need to get a handle on this. and to be able to see all these things. And yeah, well, I'd always wanted to live in London anyway. And so I did. I, well, I got a couple of scholarships for King's College and I moved over and did that. And then, you know, ended up staying. And I just feel like I have a lot of work to do here, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that's why really when, when yeah. you have an objective and you, you do everything to, to follow it. Uh, I would have dreamed to do that, you know, but I, I never had courage or, or the real uh, will to, to go forward. Uh, I never went to study to, to London. I yeah. just uh, went for holidays and, and doing some research, but not long stays. So that's fascinating. And, and to, you know, when I heard so many things um, bad said about fans and how crazy it sounds, and, and but this is passion that puts you know like uh, that helps you to go forward that um, opens doors uh, and uh, let you discover new countries new people you um, you are you've been interested in movies in theater and and so it, it, it is in a life to have a passion like that that helps you to carry on and and uh, do so many things you have so many projects well, I'm very sort of single-minded. Like, I'm I'm very um, obsessive by nature. So when I really get into something, I'm really into it. You know, it's not just like a passing fancy. But although I'm surprised this isn't because with a lot of things, I get so into it and then something else comes along and I get into that. But with this, with Vivian Lee and Laurence Olivier, it's been like years and like over a decade of my life that I am so invested in this and it's not that that's the only thing that i'm interested in in my life you know obviously not but it is like one of the main it's probably like my main um hobby passion 
obsession, you know, things that I collect. And I know a lot of other people do that as well. And I'm not, sh- I'm not quite sure why it stuck with me for so long, but it has. And I continue to love it. And sometimes it makes me feel frustrated, um, especially like within the fan community and everything, because it's like so much work to keep up a fan community and to run social media pages. And, you know, it's kind of like, sometimes I think, oh, why am I doing this? But then I realized that the connection that I have with other people who are also interested is really valuable personally to me. It just, you know, it makes me feel like I'm not the only person who likes this. And it also, it also really sort of continues to feed my obsession as well. Yeah. Because you love it. That's why you, 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 you do it. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Well, do you think we should answer some questions that people have written in about, about these people? Enough about us. Let's talk about other people. No. <laughs> so um, I put it out on Facebook and on Instagram. Uh, and I asked people to write in their questions about Vivian Lee and Laurence Olivier. So... I guess I'll just read the first one out and then we can just kind of chat about it. So the first question is, did Laurence Olivier resent not directing Vivian in the film version of A Streetcar Named Desire? What do you think? Um, directing? I, uh, first, I don't know if he was available and I don't think he resented it. I, I know that it was a big part of uh, the whole process of the project. He had directed the state version in London. And I recall uh, reading the Iron Cells, uh, uh, yes, Iron Cells Nick's um, book, and where she told a lot about um, uh, how difficult it was to negotiate the, you know, the, for the script, because Larry was always wanting to uh, add uh, some lines that had to be uh, cut for the American version because mm-hmm. of the censorship, you say? Censorship? Yeah. Censorship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so I know that uh, Larry may certainly may have uh, uh, given advice to Vivian also how to act in it, and she always said she referred to the, the stage version, and uh, it was mainly one subject of a crisis. With the Yakasan, the gave her uh, indications, and she'd rather follow the way she had acted in London. So I don't think um, it was um, totally absent of the, the whole project and the movie. He had his poem, his mark on it. But uh, I don't think, no, he resented. I don't think he would have filmed the project. I never read directly the project. Did you? No, I've never read anything about him even considering directing the film version. Um, I think he agreed to direct the stage version because Vivian really wanted him to. And it was a really good project for her. And he was extremely influential on... Well, obviously, because he had spent so much time built, you know, helping her build her character for the stage version... But um, Vivian had a thing where she really had to trust, feel like she could trust a director um, before she gave all of herself to something. So, of course, she trusted Laurence Olivier above all people, basically. But then when she went to Hollywood to do the film version, like you said, Ilya Kazan had different ideas of how 
she should play Blanche Dubois and there was tension between her and Ilya Kazan because she wanted to continue playing things. You know, she had a very set idea in her head of how Blanche should be played based on the stage version that she did, which was directed by and influenced by Laurence Olivier. So I'm certain there was a lot of outside influence. I'm pretty sure he was probably, you know, maybe coaching her a bit um, in terms of uh, her ideas about the film because he was also in Hollywood. When she was in Hollywood filming, he came over and did a film called Carrie. And so uh, they were married. They lived together, obviously. Um, and so I'm sure she would go home and tell him about things on the set or ideas that Kazan had or what Kazan wanted, and they would chat about it. And I'm sure that she took whatever he said to heart, but I don't think he resented not directing her in the film because like you said I don't think he would have done it anyway and um, I don't think he was trying to sabotage her performance or anything like that but just to give advice to her and she put a lot of weight on his opinions and so it was difficult for her to set aside what she had done on stage and open herself up to Kazan's direction specifically for the film and she won out an Academy Award for it. So, I mean, she yeah, she won an Oscar, and yeah, so I know. I agree. Okay, so the second question is: Did Vivian's daughter Suzanne get along with Laurence Olivier? Hmm. What do you think? Start with that one. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yep. She she did. Yeah. Uh, so Laurence Olivier was Suzanne's stepfather. Um, she was, Suzanne was just a kid when Vivian and Larry got together. So, um, she basically knew him, grew up with having him as a stepdad, even though he wasn't like, you know, she didn't live with them at any point. She wasn't around them a lot, but, um, so based on letters that I've read from Suzanne to Laurence Olivier, um, he treated her very kindly. Uh, he was nice to her. He would send her little gifts and give her encouragement and things like that. And obviously she would come and visit them at Notley Abbey or wherever. Um, so yeah, she did like him. And later when she was helping biographers, she was quite open to helping Laurence Olivier biographers. Um, and the trouble was when people wanted to write about Vivian, because obviously her relationship with her mom was, uh, not the best. I think there was a lot of tension there and a lot of things she probably didn't want to talk about. And so she was much more open to talking about Laurence Olivier than she was about her mom. I think, um, I think there's, uh, you know, got along also very well with Tarquin, uh, Laurence Olivier's song. So it's like an exchange, you know, one took um, side for the, the others, uh, for the child of the other. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, on uh, I don't recall any any fights. I'm, I'm on the pictures and every all the the testimonies all that have been said is that they they were quite uh, getting getting along quite well during the end. Yeah. And yeah. so um, I think it must have been very difficult at one point since uh, they left uh, their spouses. Mm. Uh, early and, and, and let their, their children at a very young age and mm -hmm. of course uh, 
uh, youngsters were raised by, uh, in the case of Tarquin, by mother, by Jill, but uh, in the case of Suzanne, by uh, Gertrude, Didn's uh, mother. Mm-hmm. And it's funny the, the way Suzanne, uh, in her life, follow a um, kind of um, very uh, conventional pattern, because uh, first she wanted to be an actress, like mm-hmm. so she started to study at Rada. Yeah, she went to Rada. Yeah, and she well, and then she had to stop, and then she worked in the beauty parlor in the beauty uh, department with Gertrude, mm-hmm. with Gertrude, so her grandmother. Uh, so she uh, she never had really uh, a career of her own or a different path. I mean, she just followed the the examples that been uh, set for her. And in the end, she, in 1957, she married Robin Farrington, and mm-hmm. she settled for a normal life and had children, and uh, and, and and started to be very quiet, and and she was just having uh, this daughter, and so a strange character, uh, Suzanne. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, yeah. So Tarquin, Laurence Olivier's oldest son. Uh, he really loved Vivian, and Vivian, you know, kind of took him under her wing. Um, and I don't know, she maybe saw Tarquin more than she saw her own daughter throughout yeah. her life, which is a bit weird. But um, yeah, so Tarquin really loved Vivian. Suzanne really liked Laurence Olivier. Um, there are letters that Suzanne wrote, you know, w- when she was in school and growing up and everything, and and um, would write to Laurence Olivier thanking him for gifts and everything. and. And when uh, Larry and Vivian were getting divorced, and Suzanne was then in what, her early 20s, basically, or around that age, um, and she, you know, wrote to Larry and said, you know, when you have a minute, call me because I, I'm so sorry that all this is happening to both of you. It must be very difficult. So there was a rapport between them, a good rapport. And then I know that she phoned him when Vivian died. And they had a chat about things, and yeah, I don't know whether she kept in touch with him afterward after Vivian died, but from everything that I've heard, she appreciated him as a stepdad. Yeah, but she never was part of the glittering circle, you know, the golden circle, the famous, and and she had to to stay faithful to her father. Uh, to be a woman, and in the same time, she must have been attracted, of course, to that um, glamorous life, uh, exciting and intellectually um, certainly attractive. And uh, you know, well, she must have been torn in this relation relationship to mm. um, what she must have felt being sent away to Canada to to stay with a grandmother and not uh, seeing a, a mother much. And then when you're an adolescent and a young girl and your mother. Uh, and you have to, to be up to the example, and it's an impossible task because you will never be elegant and everything that Vivian There must be some. You, as a, as a girl, you, you, you may understand better now what, what it must be uh, yes. to find a role model in a, such a woman. Yeah, and I mean, when Viv- or when Suzanne was growing up, she was sent away to boarding school in um, the south of England at Beedales School, um, which was a big boarding school for rich people, basically. And so she grew up in boarding school like Vivian did, but, you know, she was raised by her grandmother. 
So it must have been very strange. And I think probably all of that contributed to why she was so private in her later life and didn't want to come out and, you know, talk about her mom in documentaries or anything like that. So it must have been very strange. I think there must have been some problem at one point because at the beginning she helped everyone. Suzanne was very forwarding with lending material and and then I I don't know what happened, but she really closed and mm. uh, totally retired. You tried to get in touch with her. Yeah, um, so I think what happened was basically after she helped Hugo Vickers with his book, which she kind of considered like the authorized book, you know, the authorized biography, because she did give him basically access to a lot of things. And then she, de- I think she decided like, well, I've helped him, so that's all i don't need to help anyone else so yeah I, like i did try and get in touch with her um she was very closed off i didn't actually speak with her um i spoke with people who knew her and said oh i'll try and get in touch with her like on your behalf and and everything and then finally at the very you know the last the very last minute end of the wire kind of thing before my manuscript was due for my book, um, Hugo Vickers stepped in and helped me get permission to quote some letters and things like that. But basically, I couldn't say, you know, I couldn't say that Suzanne had authorized my book or anything like that. So it was very like, there's a lot of gatekeepers in the Vivian Lee world. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so it was quite difficult to, to get in touch with her. I would have loved to have met her just to say, you know, what I'm doing is not some kind of expose and I'm just trying to do something about someone that I really admire and I want to make it like a tribute. I'm not trying to step on anyone's toes or anything like that, but it was very, it's very difficult to, to get in touch with her. Um, Next question. Um, What was the relationship like after the divorce? Were they good friends? Well, they, they, (laughs) I wouldn't say good friends. I mean, they weren't like hanging out all the time, you know, they weren't like going out to dinner and going to the movies (laughs) or like texting. Um, They remained in contact with one another. And I think over time, things became more like quote unquote normal between them again. It was like, you know, they had a rapport again, they could write to one another and ask for advice and yeah I don't really know how to explain but um there are a lot of they obviously kept in touch after where there are a lot of letters in the Vivian Lee archive from Laurence Olivier there are letters in from Vivian in the Laurence Olivier archive so they were obviously still connected in that way but it wasn't like a romantic relationship anymore obviously he had moved on and remarried and everything but I think he felt guilty for leaving her and I think he also felt a sense of responsibility toward her because of her mental health issues and because they had had a very strong connection for such a long time you don't just like cut that off and forget about it do you know what i mean and so he w- he kept tabs on her she kept tabs on him obviously they kept a lot of the same friends and still ran in the same theatrical circle so they always knew what was going on with one another professionally it was it was friendly it wasn't like gushing romanticism or anything yeah but uh, i don't think jack married that would have barred you know uh a friendship uh, between vivian and laurence olivier had it been possible but john Wright 
uh, on the on the updates was um, well at one point adamant that uh, they would never be close. Uh, she could never meet her or uh, Larry's children, mm-hmm. and so there was really a forbidden area, no, uh, around. The, the new Olivier. Yeah, so basically Vivian, I think, wanted to remain a part of Laurence Olivier's life. Um, she wanted to meet their children. There's like an echo going on with my voice on my side of the computer, so I don't know if it's picking it up. I'm hoping it doesn't, but don't pick it up. Anyway, <laughs> um, so she wanted to meet his children. And she wanted to meet Joan. Because she never really did, you know. Um, But I think Joan and Larry wanted to keep this distance between these two things. Um, I know that Laurence Olivier consulted Vivian Lee's psychiatrist about this because Vivian Lee was bipolar and um, a big source of like depression and other things to do with that had to do with her breakup with Laurence Olivier, her relationship. They sort of fed off each other in that way. And so her doctors recommended that that Laurence Olivier basically not let her come and meet their kids because once they say yes, then they couldn't stop her from doing that. And it might really upset her and kind of disrupt the balance of her mental state, basically. I don't know. It's pretty sad Um, because, you know, like Vivian was the one that was kind of like left behind and Larry moved on and had a new family and everything a family that she obviously had wanted to have with Larry herself but it didn't come to pass um and so that must have been very difficult I don't know if she ever knew that his that her doctor was telling Lawrence Olivier not to let her come around the kids or anything like that but um that that is what happened behind the scenes but there is a beautiful anecdote that Louise told you, you know, yes. when um, Laurence Olivier visited Vivian, uh, it, it was at Tickrage. Yeah, I so... I to hear it, because it's so moving. Well, Larry did, they met a few times, it's not like they just communicated by letter or anything. I've got, the, I've been through a lot of the letters at the v and Vivian's archive, Um. You know, he talks about they had arranged to meet a few times throughout the 1960s. And at one point, I think she was going through a bit of a hard time um, when she came back. I think it was when she came back from Tavar- from doing Tavarich in 1964. I, th- I think that's when it is, but I'm just saying this off the top of my head. Um, but I spoke with Laurence Olivier's sister-in-law, Hester, and her daughter, Louise, so Larry's niece. And they were both visiting Vivian at Tickeridge Mill on this particular weekend that Larry was scheduled to come and see Vivian. And he came down and, you know, Hester and Louise both said that Vivian was very, like, nervous about it. Nervous to see him because she hadn't seen him in a few years, not, like, in in this one-to-one kind of situation. And, uh, you know, he rolled up in the car and came in and called her from downstairs. And she was, like, all nervous, like a little schoolgirl upstairs. And he said, you know, Vivian, are you coming down or do I have to come up and get you? And she, like, came and, you know, went downstairs. And they both said that, you know, they remember they walked around the garden together and chatted about the old days and Notley and, and just what was going on in their lives and everything. And 
and then sat on the couch for a long time and we're just having a chat like an old catch up like old friends because i think one of the things that vivian really um missed when they divorced was his friendship not maybe not so much like the i mean i'm sure she missed like the passionate side of things as well but what she really misses this friendship of larry because they had been so close for such a long time and then it was like this gap for him to kind of go on with his life and for her to go off and do you know acting in australia and south america and, and in new york and everything so when they got together again um it was kind of like they were visiting old times and uh, i think vivian really appreciated that and larry he was you know i think it was a good it was a very nice reunion for them and they both really appreciated it and hester said you know he certainly gave every indication that he wanted to be there chatting with her and i i think he he liked seeing her again and, and appreciated seeing that you know how she was doing and how she was taking care of herself and everything because he did continue to care for her it might not have been like this you know passionate love sort of thing but certainly there are a lot of feelings there and i know that he you know was very worried about her um he would kind of step in via letter whenever she was having like a manic phase or just not doing very well and would write to her and say you know for the sake of everyone who loves you, you please take it easy. And I know, don't try and argue with that because I know how you get and everything. And, and you just need to kind of let yourself get better because you will get better. And it, it, they just kept up this, it, it was like a friendship in the end. And I think they both really appreciated that. Oh, a new way of love. Not, maybe, maybe not friendship, but... Uh... Love, a, a different new, um, kind of love. A new yeah, in, in, in love, but uh, uh, they had been through so many things together. They had been young together. They had been um, uh, reaching fame and what well, they had dreamed all their life together. So, uh, well, of course, uh, life, uh, illness, miscarriages, and so many things happen, and mm. and times changing also because Lawrence Olivier may be adapted to easier to the new uh, era that was starting in the 60s more mm. than than Vivian. But I think it was love and it answers very well what you just said to the question number eight uh, who asked how deep was their love. I mean, this uh, just sum it up, yes. um, this story. And I don't know if it's uh, Hugo Vicker's biography, we just think about that moment when Olivier visited um, Vivian at Tigrage, and the, this reunion was stopped abruptly by a phone call by John Florine. Yes, and then he had to go back, and then Hester said, "Then he uh, became the he became the man in the camel hair coat, basically." And then he's like, "Oh, I have to go." But I think when they got together, it was kind of in, in this. It was just the two of them, basically, and he was able to see how she was doing and have a proper catch up with her and the thing is that i think Lawrence livia was really grateful for jack merivale who was vivian's partner at the end of her life because he knew that she was being taken care of in a way that he could no longer take care of her um he was assured that she was getting help that she needed and that she had someone there but that bond between him and vivian 
despite everything that happened and even if there was like a gap when things were very difficult between them when they divorced obviously that was hard you know it wasn't some easy thing where they just said okay bye it, there were like a lot of it was a lot of i think angry feelings and sad feelings and everything this great love affair coming to an end but their bond with each other never was completely broken it's and i'm not just saying that because i oh well like i want them to be happily ever after in love i'm saying that because the evidence states clearly that they continued a sort of relationship not a romantic relationship but a very a caring relationship to the end of her life yes and and the, the new couple with Vivian B and Jack Mirabel, there was always the third person because she yes. had always the picture of Larry. She was always referring to Larry. Ah, Jack Mirabel must have put up with very difficult times, I think, uh, with, yes. with that ghost uh, behind his back. Oh, well, he was, I think Jack was a really solid and good guy. I think he was a good guy. And I think he realized that he had to accept yeah. that Laurence Olivier was the first and was the love of her life because if he didn't, then he wouldn't have had that relationship with Vivian because Vivian was not going to just be like, oh yeah, I don't care about him anymore. Obviously she did. She continued to love him for the rest of her life. Um, and so that, that Jack put up with that, that Jack accepted that, I think is really rare. And I think that Vivian was very lucky to have him. Mm -hmm. And the other question is, uh, I let you answer to that one, because I know that you <laughs> love the gossip. I love uh, the gossip. Did Clark Gable make advances to Vivian Lee while filming Bone with me? Okay. Since you were on the set and you know all about it. Yeah, since I was there, I can give you a first-person report. Yeah. I know exactly yeah. what happened on the set of Gone with the Wind. Um, <laughs> no. I don't know. Probably. He probably did because Clark Gable was a womanizer and Clark Gable loved to flirt with people and he could basically get any woman he wanted. But um, there was an article that was published in the Daily Fail aka the Daily Mail, but I call it the Daily Fail. Um, this is a few years ago, and it was an article by Peter Evans, who is a journalist, and he's dead now, but he, um, for example, wrote this book, Ava Gardner, The Secret Conversations. So he was going to ghostwrite Ava Gardner's autobiography, and then in 2013, he put all this stuff, to all those tapes together and came out with this rather, like, salacious book. But he wrote this article in the Daily Mail, where he said that at a at a dinner party in the 1960s vivian lee told him that clark gable had tried to rape her during gone with the wind and i was like what no. <laughs> <laughs> because first of all first of all he was married yes he married carol lombard during the filming and i he was not 100% faithful to Carol Lombard. He did, you know, mess around as everyone did. I'm not giving him a pass here at all. Um, but I don't think Vivian was interested in him in that way at all. <laughs> and also, there's no indication, you know, going through um, primary source materials, going through the archives and everything, there is no indication whatever that she ever had any kind of trouble with Clark Gable in that way. So 
I think that if it had happened, she would have told Laurence Olivier at the time. I don't think she would have just like pretended that it didn't happen. That's a very big thing to happen. Um, she would have said something. There's no indication that that's true. I think this is a bunch of bullshit. So next, when you when you watch the you know the, the screen test, the costume screen test with Gabriel, uh, I don't see a fascination between the the two. No, uh, you know they they are very stiff and very um. They're looking at each other and like surveying the other, and um, I don't know how the relation evolved during the filming, but I don't think they were really close. I don't recall them uh, meeting after the the movie and, and until the fifties. I remember that party where they were seated uh, yeah. in, in America. I don't recall the occasion, but I knew they met again. Yeah, so I. I have a picture of him visiting her on the set of Waterloo Bridge at MGM because yeah. he was under contract to MGM, so obviously they were working in the same space. He went over and said hi, you know, but I don't know. They weren't hanging out. But here's the thing is that Jack Merivale said to Anne Edwards, who wrote a biography about Vivian Lee in the 1970s. Now, I've listened to this entire tape of Jack Merivale basically going through the Anne Edwards book and pointing out the things that she got wrong. <laughs> she said because you know there's this rumor that that Anne Edwards started that Vivian hated kissing Clark Gable because he had bad breath from his false teeth and yeah. people repeat this all the damn time on social media and I'm just like <sighs> because Jack Merrivale said on this tape he said you're publishing this but it doesn't forward your narrative Vivian always spoke kindly about Clark Gable so if he had tried to rape her, for God's sake, I don't think she would have spoken kindly about him all the time. Oh, no. She yeah. was known for being frank. That's yeah. why I like her. Um, because she never tried to erase, uh, you know, the, the parts you wouldn't like to... She, she, she never liked to say yes when she said she thought no. Yeah. And that Quality has always astonished me. I think this is one of the qualities I like in her. She never wanted to, she never looked for being liked. Uh, look at the parts she chose. She never chose very sympathetic parts. She, the parts were always character with, uh, well, a broad, difficult side. And the way she answers the question during the interview, during Mark Mays, when he put online, you know, the, what, what was the small, small world? Small world. Mm -hmm. small world. Ah, you know, when Lawrence Olivier is interviewed, he always says something very, he, he tries to seduce a little bit the interviewer, and he said yes, but, well, he speaks in mind, but he's round. You can always say no, 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 I don't agree. I, well, she, she has her own mind, and she knows what she wants to say. She doesn't uh, want to please uh, at all costs. Uh, she is just her honest uh, character always speaks her truth and never deviates uh, from that line. So, um, well, that's what I wanted to say. I agree completely. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, next question. The next question is, did they ever have traditional wedding rings? Oh, am I, am I doing that one? Yeah. So, well, Vivian had three wedding rings throughout her life. Um, the first one 
she was apparently twisting it during a screening of the Marcel Carnet film, which I can't pronounce very well, so you have to say it. Les Enfants du Paradis. Say it again. Les Enfants du Paradis. That one. Um, <laughs> she saw it in the cinema and was twisting it off, and it flew off her finger, and she lost it in the darkened cinema. I guess. The second one was stolen from her house um, in 1953 when she was ill. And so she got a third one, which she said was inscribed by Larry. This is the last one you get, I hope. Now, apparently it wasn't very common for men to wear wedding rings until like the 1960s or something like that. So Laurence Olivier didn't wear a wedding ring ever. He wore a signet ring, a pinky ring which was, like, passed down through his family. Mm-hmm. And, but he didn't wear an actual wedding ring. So when Sotheby's auctioned off this Vivian Lee collection last year, you'll remember there was a gold ring that was inscribed inside Laurence Olivier Vivian Forever. I don't yes. know if that was a wedding ring or if it was just a, a, you know, a gift ring from him to her. I'm not sure if that was one of the ones that she got. But, um, yeah, it was really sweet. But she, Vivian wore a wedding ring and Laurence Olivier didn't. Uh, just, just to stay on a little bit on the marriage um, subject, uh, why do you think uh, Vivian never remarried? Because I, um, when I read, you know, about the, the second old Vic force uh, in Australia, uh, there were, were a lot of articles and it was a matter of interest from the journalists. Uh, was she on going to marry Jack Meridale or not? And so it was really announced in all newspapers, maybe they will uh, marry this week or secretly or so. And suddenly everything stopped and I never understood why she, she never married uh, Jack Meridale after all. Didn't Jack say something yeah. about how he would have married her any time when she was but not when she wasn't herself. So Vivian was a very compulsive person. Um, she just did things like spur of the moment, you know? Um, and I think he sort of realized that her love for Laurence Olivier was still in the picture. And if he had married her, then it would have n- maybe not been like a 100% true thing. I'm not sure. I wonder if she was serious and she considered it, or maybe uh, did she want to cut definitely, you know, the bridge with the uh, Laurence Olivier relationship? No, I don't I think she think, wanted uh, to. Uh, you know, um, something the second or the first Lady Olivier since she never uh, renounced her title and she nope. kept uh, his initials. And uh, when she signed some letters, to she signed Olivier and she signed, she didn't sign Vivian Lee. So. Well, well she carried Lee, on the, the legend for way, way long before it was uh, stopped. Yes, but also Olivier was her legal last name when she got married to Laurence Olivier. She changed her last name was legally Olivier. So yes, but they were divorced. They yes, were, but she divorced. never changed her name back to anything else. So when she died, like the records at Golders Green Crematorium in London um, are filed under Olivier. Vivian Olivier and not Vivian Lee. So I don't think she wanted to give that up. I, you know, she, 
she was Laurence Olivier's, I think, the love of his life and the passion of his life and and vice versa. Yeah, and I don't think yeah. she wanted to give any of that up because they had been through so much together and she obviously had so many feelings for him even afterward that I don't think she was going to completely move on from that. Maybe if she had lived longer, then she and Jack might have gotten married eventually. But yeah. I, I, rem I remember, you know, people writing, after my book was out, people writing to me about uh, um, her them or just having sold them on stage or having loved them and how their life had been so shocked or broke apart when, when they divorced. And it, it, it was like if something bad had happened to themselves. Mm -hmm. It was uh, this big couple that just divorced and they had just. Um, read about them in the newspapers and when they divorced it was like if some member of the close family had, uh, you know, had, uh, well, handed something and it was hurtful to them and they had suffered for, and they had been sad for Vivian and mm. uh, cherished her after that. Yeah, because the people yeah. have been so invested oh, in them yeah. as a couple and when they broke up, it was kind of like this big illusion had come crashing down and people didn't know how to handle it. I mean, I'm sure if people feel like that about some celebrities today, I don't know, because I don't care about anyone today. <laughs> but with Larry and no. Vivian, people were very upset about it. And because they had, you know, been this great team for so long and, and presented themselves as having this really epic love affair and they and two they kept their problems out of the press like they didn't it wasn't like more people today where um we have paparazzi who are always like chasing people around like they they kept their private lives as private as they could so what they put out into the public was this front of unification and they never you know if they could help it they didn't let any of their personal marital problems out into the air, you know. I, I know you're working on uh, on a project where you could focus on a more private private side of the Oliviers, and and you think uh, we would be uh, surprised by the difference there is with the public image, or you think there still uh, was uh, the same uh, ingredients of a well. I, what made this couple interesting to the big public eye? Do you think in the intimacy they were the same? Did they gather with uh, just famous people all the time, or had they uh, even surprising sides that uh, that appears during your your research or what you? So I've been, yeah, I'm working on a little thing right now that I've, <laughs> that I haven't, oh, I, I haven't gotten very far on it because I just have so many other things on. Um, and also I'm intellectually lazy in that way. So, um, yeah, I've been collecting, uh, letters that Vivian wrote to other people throughout her life. So like George Cukor, Alan Dent, like all these people who was, she, she was like really good friends with. Um, and what I've noticed in the letters that I've collected thus far is that, yeah, there was a very strong connection between them in their private life. And, um, you know, they talk a lot about work and everything, the work that they're doing. Um, I think we'll learn a bit more about Vivian's feelings, um, especially later in their marriage, about Laurence Olivier's successes and her... Um, 
being, you know, not receiving the same level of critical praise that Laurence Olivier did. Um, I think we'll learn more about the way she felt about things that were happening in, in their relationship and in their work. But on the whole, yes, I think there was a very strong bond between them, and that comes across in letters she wrote to other people and the letters that he wrote to other people as well. Um, there's a lot of talk about how you know proud they are of each other and their successes that they've made, um, how how close they were to their friends and everything. And and there's also I've read um, letters of people kind of giving their own opinions to Vivian about her breakup with Laurence Olivier. So you know, people kind of inserting themselves in and being like, "I'll tell you what you should do," even if she didn't mm -hmm. solicit those kind of opinions. Um, so I think, yeah, there's a lot that by reading their personal letters, I think we get um, a lot deeper uh, picture of who they really were and not just how other people sort of saw them. You learn about more about their feelings and, and how they operated and everything. So, yeah. And what interested them, I mean, their mm -hmm. readings, the, the, what they really liked. Mm -hmm. uh, not just going to parties, you know, premiere and things, uh, well social circles, but I know Vivian was um, much more interested in control events uh, than Laurence Olivier. I know she loved painting, I know she went to, uh, she loved music, and uh, someone said not, not only going to the, the shows, but going to the rehearsals. She loved music to the point that she was able to go to the rehearsals to really listen to, to be explained that, that, that part of the, the, the music and that uh, well, she, she, she had so many interests. She was such a, um, uh, how do you say, literary person? Yeah. Uh, well, um, she had so many subjects of interest and, and, and people all that. Um, when I always thought Larry was more focused on his work and yes. uh, on his career and uh, uh, company, well, the theater he wanted to build, the National Theater, this project really the project. And Vivian was, uh, yes, their work and art and but there's life around them, meeting friends, having yeah. fun. And, uh, uh, yeah, but it, it comes across in the letters I've read as well from Vivian and other people that Larry was very, that his work was his life. Um, yeah. And she knew that from the beginning. And he even says in a letter to her from 1939, you know, like, well, that's what, why, you know, that's why we're together because we're you know both so obsessed with the work basically the work is, is sustains them that is their life you know and that's why they had such a connection because they were both so like obsessed with mm. being these great artists and everything but yeah i think you're right that vivian was very much into other things in life um than work and i think sometimes it frustrated her uh, that Larry was so focused on that one thing, that thing that's like the, that's the thing that he life, loved. You know? Yeah, and mm. uh, I know there's a letter that she wrote to George Cukor in 1954, I think it was, um, when Lawrence Olivier was doing location scouting for Richard III in Spain. 
and they had been planning to go to California to see George Cukor because they needed a holiday and everything, and Vivian was very excited about it. And then at the very last minute, their plans were changed, and they went to Spain for two days. And Vivian was like, I'm still hoping, you know, yeah, we're in Spain, we're in Madrid, and blah, blah, you know, but um, I'm still hoping that we can go to California after this. I really want to see you. And it didn't happen. So Vivian, I think, so later in their relationship, they started taking, like, separate holidays and things like if they needed a break they would you know vivian would go to corfu with roger first or she would go to italy with whoever and Lawrence livier would do his own thing as well but for a long time um i think Lawrence livier really sort of led the things that they both did together like it revolved around work so they couldn't just be like oh we need to take a holiday so we're gonna go off it's like it had to revolve around schedules and things like that and if something needed to be changed in the schedule then their holiday would be changed. It was like that took precedent over things. And I think that frustrated Vivian sometimes because she didn't always get to do maybe what she really wanted to do. And it's not like she didn't have a choice not to do that, but that's just how intertwined their lives, their personal lives were with their work. Um, and yeah, I, I do think that frustrated her. And she said, too, in a letter, like, when they were divorcing, she told him, you know, like, I, I, I feel confident that our lives will lie in separate directions. And I'm, I'm not quoting this verbatim. I'm quoting this off the top of my head, so I get it wrong. But she said, I think our lives will live in quite different directions. I feel confident that I can make my own life because you have always led yours and, like, underlined. So I think that he, his, his work, his needs took precedent over hers in 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 a lot of ways and she went along with that you know and i think she did feel frustrated about it sometimes yeah but she spent her life saying she admired him and she was the greatest actor and she of never course. changed anything in her life so that's the complexity of uh, of life and his relation which leads us to the question number seven and the last one, which is uh, what were Vivian's final days like? What I mean, were so Vivian's? She was left, she was alone now. She's no more with Laurence Olivier three of a time. And uh, it seems to me that after the, the match, uh, she started to, um, well, take uh, every opportunity to, to be away from England. That she mm. started this new orbit tour uh, to Australia, New, new Zealand, and she hoped to, to go after South America. She, I think she hoped to go to India or to Japan. And Russia and, uh, as well, yeah. And Russia, and so she had big plans for that. And so she went to Hollywood and she traveled. She, she sent, well, she had Tick Rage, of course, which was uh, uh, an anchor and uh, or Eaton Square, but uh, what do you think uh, about that? Yes, I mean, I think even Laurence Olivier said after they divorced, like, she really came into her own as an actress and, and you know, wasn't tethered to this, this this team thing anymore. She really kind of blossomed on her own. Um, and it gave her the opportunity to do that and really come into her own as a stage actress on her own without his help and i know she still solicited his advice and everything but 
but she was able to prove that she could do things on her own, that she didn't need him as guidance, you know, um, it wasn't, her success wasn't dependent on him. Um, and well, I think the, one of the reasons why she was so busy, especially during those first few years was because of the pain of breaking up with Laurence Olivier and she didn't want to be, you know, around to kind of be involved with everything that was going on. And she was depressed and she just felt like she needed to get away. And, and for her work was something that really sustained her and kept her disciplined and kept her mind busy. So that was important for her. Um, but she did some really big things and, and I think it's really great that she kept going on. But then in her late, her final days when she was ill with TB again in 1967, um, I don't think she ever expected that she was going to die from TB. No. No, uh, I, I don't think she even, well, she took care very much uh, of her, I think she always said and that she's um, carry on with smoking, receiving people, and uh, a lot of people receive cards. And I remember reading, um, uh, you know, Joe uh, uh, Bogardus um, book. Yeah. This, this fabulous little book of correspondence he had with an unknown woman. Yeah. And there's a whole chapter dedicated to his relationship with Vivian Lee. And uh, on the day of his death, she received uh, a letter and she. And she said to him, "Come and visit me. Come very soon. Come very soon." And on the on the postcards, there was a, a lady with a big hat with uh, big flowers on the hat, and she said, "This is how I look in my bed, and I will receive you with a with, with this uh, hat, and we will have fun." And well, the day after she learned, uh, she was there. Yes. Everyone was surprised since she was rehearsing. Delicate balance with Michael Ray Grave, and uh, I think it was really a shock. And yeah. uh, I don't think she was isolated. She was well sick, even bad. The, the rehearsals had been postponed, but uh, she had so many things to do. She had projects. She she had a film about Tchaikovsky up mm-hmm. in Russia to be done. Uh, so she was starting the new wave because Duarte mm, is uh, was. Same author like John Osborne, it would have opened maybe this new field for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would have been away in the, the classic roles, and uh, she was on the verge of starting something new. And mm-hmm. well, that was a really sad and abrupt ending. Yes, I mean she didn't she didn't really take care of herself very well in her later years. She just kind of lived her life and said, "Fuck it." Basically, she wasn't gonna sit around and follow doctor's orders. She was going to smoke because she liked smoking. She was going to have friends around because she needed friends around. She was going to get up and do things because she didn't like being an invalid. Um, And she just, you know, I think went out still living her life um, and not resigned to the idea that she was going to die because she didn't know she was going to die. No one else knew she was going to die. And it's just, yeah. (laughs) I just really know how to explain it, but she... She just did what she wanted to do, and that's our Viv. Yes, and, and I think she lost uh, a little bit, um, a little bit uh, touch with the. Um, don't you think she lost a bit touch with the, the new age? You know, the new, the new scene that was opening in 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 England and with the sixties, with uh, yes, all those rock star, these new styles, uh, dress. She 
she I always think she looked so formal and she started to to wear her dressing her appearance started to change she she put so many makeup and mm. she she had a lot of extravagant fashion and uh, she I don't know she she I don't know how she would have uh, actually actually live say uh, what really would have been her uh, a new steps what would have she done would have she yeah. been marrying uh, Jack Marywell I mean, I sort of picture her as someone like a lot of these really beautiful actresses of the 40s, um, the Hollywood stars like Hedy Lamarr and people who become kind of reclusive because even though Vivian always said she didn't care about her looks, like she obviously did, you know, she obviously cared about it. She wouldn't have started, you know, going on with the, 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 more extravagant makeup and any or anything like that if she didn't feel like she had to kind of keep up with the times and and keep herself looking glamorous and everything so i can imagine her being some kind of like hedy lamar um and i also um kind of wonder like i know jack maravale was a really solid person and a very nice guy but i sort of you know wonder whether he would have been able to continue coping with vivian's bipolar disorder um in the long run because she died like seven years after they got together and it was very hard for jack um to deal with that even though he didn't have the same career as Laurence olivier so he didn't have all the same obligations but you know she was hard on him as she had been with larry and he had to deal with kind of her outbursts and things like that and, and i know it wasn't easy um so part of me wonders if he would have I, I wonder if she would have been happy in the long run because, yeah, I, I just don't know. <laughs> and yet, I want to remember that uh, beautiful, beautiful little picture. I think you, you published it in your book. Uh, you know, where I think she is in um, Antique Rage and she is uh, uh, this page. Um, I don't know if it's a wig or something. Uh-huh. And she, she is without makeup. And she looks 20, she looks like a little girl in the field. Yeah. And uh, she, she, she never lost the sense of, of childhood, of that innocence, of that will, of that power, of that expectations. Mm. Uh, everything, to, all the promises uh, that future would held for her. And uh, I'm happy we... Uh, Suddenly, the door uh, was closed, and we never saw really the fall. And yeah. and the fact that she, she would never have uh, reached uh, her expectation. I like that we keep that that little. She went out for... on top. <laughs> 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 totally. <laughs> well, I think we should probably wrap it up because it's like we've been doing this for an hour and twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> thank, thank you so much for filling in for Anthony this week it was amazing to have you on and I'm so glad that now your secret's out and everyone knows who you are guys oh. go on the internet on Abe Books or eBay or Amazon or wherever and buy Serge's oh, book oh. no do it yeah, you have to do it no, you, ha- you have to do it What what's it called again mm, I don't know I don't remember it's search for and fire, and fire. Uh, and Sir- from Anthony and Joe Bell. 
Search for Serge Maffioli online and get that shit now. Your life will be enriched. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, Mary Kendra, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Oh, okay. I hope Anthony will be busy also. Uh, You're, welcome back, again. <laughs> You're welcome back anytime. You're welcome back anytime. No one. <laughs> bye bye. Bye.